Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Hey, we got a lot of things coming up this coming week. Our Bag Hunger food drive for the Covington Food Bank. On Tuesday night, we're going to be assembling the bags. We could use a little help with that. They'll be at 7 o'clock at the church on Tuesday. And then next Saturday, uh, if you want to help out, meet us at the church for 9 o'clock. And we are going to distribute around 2,000 bags at various subdivisions around the North Shore, which we will collect the following weekend for our Bag Hunger Outreach. So, hope to see you there. Right now, let's head to the talk. This is part one in a series called Fully Alive, Living for What Truly Matters. I think if, if I had an alternative occupation, I would probably like to be a college professor. So uh, today, we're going we're gonna to do like a, 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 this is my college professor. Do I look like a, I could? Yeah. Actually, it was so nice this morning, I thought, I'm just wearing a jacket. And then I, I need patches. Okay, well, I'll put that on the, the Christmas list. I thought, I thought it was going to be cooler this morning when I stepped outside, and then I'm like, oh, it's, it's not cool at all now uh, that I've stepped outside again. So, anyway, we're going we're gonna to do this a little bit more interactive than, than normal this morning, so hopefully those of you who uh, fight sleep during these uh, can stay engaged a little bit more. Um, I've realized over the years, I've been a Christian now for probably a little over 20 years, and I think one of the hardest things about being a Christian is when it comes to following the teachings of Jesus. Anybody can relate with that? Because um, Jesus said some things that don't make any sense to us. I mean, if we're going to be honest, they fly in the face of the way we think that the world works and the way that the world seems to appear to work. Uh, like, like the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Then blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's crazy talk, right? I mean, nobody believes that normally, right? Come on, let's be honest. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for doing the right thing. Crazy talk again. Or how about when Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, right, come on. Or how about when, when, when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Seven times? That seems like a great extent of forgiveness. And Jesus is like, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Or probably our least favorite passage from the sayings of Jesus, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who spitefully sin against you. We don't like that stuff. In fact, I would say most people in, a, in America, we just flat out ignore that. We're okay with Jesus dying on the cross for our sins so that we can go to heaven when we die. 
But when it actually comes to living the teachings of Jesus, we just ignore that stuff. And I think what we've ended up with in, in modern America really doesn't resemble the Christianity of Jesus. It's more of a civil religion. It's a combination of our, our politics, consumerism, materialism with a Christian veneer on it. You know, it says Christian. But I mean, I can tell you the, the first probably 10 or 12 years that I was a Christian, I never heard one of those sayings of Jesus except for it's more blessed to give than to receive. But usually that was because the pastor wanted me to give more, right? <laughs> You've heard that message before. <laughs> it's more blessed for you to give than to receive. Um, and so I, I, I think, you know, even when we look at presidential candidates, uh, I, I don't know of any president that has ever been elected who didn't at least claim to be a Christian. Now, we can kind of laugh at that a little because we look at a lot of the presidents and we're like, it doesn't seem that they are really actually following Jesus. And certainly you don't hear any of the presidents quoting these sayings of Jesus. But for those of us who have actually attempted, even in small ways, to practice generosity, to practice forgiveness, to practice mercy and compassion... For those who have actually endeavored to make that a practice in your life, you have tasted that, that there is a wisdom in it that is from another place. That, that when you actually move in mercy, when you are giving of your time and your resources, you don't become less. You actually experience more life, right? Have you ever experienced that before? I mean, it seems contrary to the way that we're taught to think in this world, the water that we swim in, but the reality is, even something as crazy as, as Jesus said, like, those who seek to save their lives will lose it, but those who lay down their lives, lose their life for my sake, will find life. We find that what Jesus says that seems just upside down is actually the path to life, as crazy as it seems. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. See, Jesus didn't come so we could just have some civil religion that keeps us in line and makes us good citizens and we don't threaten anything. Jesus came that we could actually have life. I put a, a quote on the front of your bulletin, uh, St. Irenaeus. This was in the second century. He says, The glory of God is man fully alive. One of the greatest ways that we can actually bring glory to God with our lives is to be fully alive. And how does that happen? It happens when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Not just looking to Jesus as our ticket to the afterlife, but actually following in his footsteps, which is a little bit more difficult. So what I want to talk about today and the next couple of weeks, if, if this series goes okay today, we'll continue it. If not, we'll just uh, go on to something else. But what I want to talk is how do we live in a way that we are connected with the values of Jesus 
We're connected with our own hearts. How, do we be, how can we be fully alive and engaged in our faith? How can we make choices and decisions based not on the external things of this world, but based on the things that really matter? So today's message is entitled, uh, Fully Alive. Part one, living for what truly matters. And I'm going to do my best college pro- professor imitation here. So I want to start off... We'll, we'll put the title up here. This is a shaky board, so. Okay. So let's do a little uh, something interactive here. Jesus. When you look at Jesus... In the New Testament, in the Gospels, what do you think Jesus valued? Can y'all read my handwriting by this? Okay. I'm like, I'm just assuming I can read it. Uh, <laughs> makes sense to me. Um, when we look at Jesus, his teachings, and his examples, what would you say that Jesus valued? Relationships? Relationships. All right, anybody else? Peace. Love. Mercy. Sacrifice. Self. Pleasing the Father. I'm just going to put Father. Gentleness, unless you were a Pharisee. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Truth. What was that? Oh, okay. Anything else? Generosity. Generosity, prayer. Forgiveness. I'm, I'm going to skip prayer, and this is the reason why I'm going to skip prayer. Prayer is a little bit more of a practice than a value, so if we'll, we'll make a little bit more of that distinction along the way. Because I would say prayer had a lot to do with Father and all these other things, so it was kind of the, the undergirding thing. Reconciliation. Was that faithfulness or thankful? Faithful? <laughs> Reconciliation. Yeah, I, 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 there, there's no wrong answers up here. And, and what I would say about Jesus, if you look at his teachings... You definitely see this is exactly the stuff that he taught. But if you look at the way that Jesus lived, there wasn't any difference. So Jesus tells us, love your enemies. What does Jesus do? 
hanging on the cross. He loves his enemies. He says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, Jesus valued relationship. He didn't just say, I value relationship, and it's good to love one another. We can see actual pictures of how Jesus did that. Jesus would touch the lepers and heal them. He would, he would uh, welcome in outsiders. I mean, he spent three years of his life just pouring into 12 knuckleheads, you know, spending all the time. Um, yeah, gentleness, truth. So these are the things that Jesus put a priority on. He, he, he valued. Now, I want to ask this question. What about you? Now, this is going to be a big you, so because all, everybody's going to give answers. Um, what are some things that you value in your life? Kindness? Whoa, whoa, hey, hey. Have some compassion on me. Compassion. Relationship. Okay, next. Family. Okay. Selflessness. Ability, honesty. Man, my handwriting is probably getting atrocious about now. What's that? Career? Yeah, no, no. That's we want honest answers. We don't want like, oh, I just value love. <laughs> Career, health. Uh, health, security. First and second amendment. First and second amendment. <laughs> okay, we'll just put one and two up there. And <laughs> I'm going to stay out of politics a little today. I, my pol- political thing was just saying we need to pray for this country at the beginning. That's as far as I'm going to go today. I'll save the rest for Facebook. Friends. Loyalty. (laughs) Friends. Loyalty. Okay, that's probably enough because I'm, I'm about to run out of room. So let me ask you this question. I love, I love the honest answer over here. Um, when I've gone through this exercise before, I ask myself, what do I value? I go, well, I value family. I value um, a lot of these same things that you've, you've mentioned. But then I actually look at my life. You may be having that moment even right now as you're thinking, well, I, these are kind of the things I want to value, but... Do I really value them? Is anybody having that moment right now? Or Yeah, value money. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. Okay, 
So if, if we're going to put down the actual list, it was probably, it was probably like career, money, what other people think of me, uh, <laughs> yeah, fishing. <laughs> and, and this gets to, to something that we call, um, this is my good college professor word here this morning, um, cognitive dissonance. I just don't know how to spell dissonance, so. Okay. So, cognitive dissonance is where here you are, and you, I'm going to put a little heart here, which, this is a heart. It looks like an amoeba. (laughs) Heart-shaped amoeba. These are the things that you believe and value, right, with, with your heart, and yet... This line is actually going over here. So, so you, you believe these things, you value those things, but you don't actually practice them in your life. Uh, so, so, so there are things that you, you actually say that you value, and yet when you look at your checkbook or your time, uh, just the ind- general indicators of our life, it might look... Uh, from an outside observer, like maybe you don't value those things as much as you think you value them. And so part of living fully alive is learning how to align ourselves with the values of Jesus, number one. But, but secondly, in our own values, the way those values are expressed in our life is trying to get rid of the dissonance. The, the, because, because here's what happens. If you've got cognitive dissonance in your life, it's not that you don't have values. You do have values, and that's the problem. You explain them away. You compromise with them. You go down the road, and you just say, these things that I really value, I'm going to compromise with them to, to get somewhere else. And so you push those things down. But here's the deal. They don't go away. And so you may end up years down the road in a situation where you're miserable because you've denied a part of who God has called you to be and made you to be, and you're not living from that anymore. And so you, you feel miserable. And I've gotten there on plenty of occasions myself. I'm not, I, just because I'm up here with the marker and the eraser does not mean I'm an expert on this. I'm speaking from experience. I know I did an exercise really where a lot of this teaching stuff came from was, was actually in my life back in probably 2008. I spent a good time reflecting on what are the things that actually matter to me? Because Dina kept making this statement, which I was not very popular of. I get home at the end of the day and Dina's like, we're tired of leftover Crispin, me and the kids. She's like, can, can we get can we get the enthusiasm and the energy that you seem to bring to these other things out there? And I was kind of offended by it until I gave it some, some thought. And I realized, well, you know, I, I am not bringing my full self to my marriage or my kids. I have, even though I say I value them, I have let other things get in the way. And they weren't bad things, by the way. They're good things. You know, Wilco... Got any Wilco fans in here? We need more Wilco fans in this church. Wilco, they have this song uh, off of their Ghost is Born album called Hell is Chrome. 
I think I put the lyrics in your, <laughs> in your outline. When the devil came, he was not red. He was chrome. And he said, come with me. You must go. So I went where everything was clean, so precise and towering. When you listen to the Wilco song, it's just a, it's kind of a beautifully seductive song. The devil doesn't come to you all tatted up with pentagrams, with horns, with a, a, a pitchfork and a red cape. He doesn't come to you looking gruesome the way some of these uh, masks are going to look like uh, in a few weeks when we celebrate Halloween. The real seduction that gets us off track is the stuff that makes perfect sense to us. It's chrome. It's shiny. It's clean. It's beautiful. It appeals to our sensibilities. It makes sense. This is the way we ought to go. And this is where things get us off track. I've, I've, I have been taken off track sometimes by, by uh, you know, things that were obviously bad. But it's not the bad things in life that have really sidetracked me. It's the good things in life, the things that made sense, that, that got in the ways of living from my values. So I want to look at a few of these good things that cause us to not live from our hearts or be fully alive. The first, fear. And with every one of these topics, there's a corresponding question. And fear would be, the question would be, what if... Now, it's okay to ask the what-if question. The what-if question has saved your butt a few times in your life, okay? <laughs> what-if is not a bad thing. And, and what I'm gonna, what the, the, the point I want to make with all these things that we're going through, it's not that any of these things are bad in and of themselves. It's if they're driving the bus. They're, a, they're, they're the way to live apart from your values. Fear has saved your life. The, the fear instinct... You know, somebody pulls a gun on you in a back alley in New Orleans and wants your wallet, fear might just save your butt. That's good. But if the primary thing when we come to decisions in our life, if the thing that's driving the bus is fear, then you're set up to live not from your values but from continued anxiety. Because fear, it's like a drug. You make one fearful decision, it's a lot easier to make the next one. And the next one, and to keep putting off things because your primary concern is, what if? What if is, man, that will eat your lunch. What if? I mean, I can just, <laughs> I can just look at the news any day this week, and there's what ifs about everything. If I live my life in what if, I, I'm, I'm reacting rather than being proactive. Now, there may be a time for what if. But the point when we've got to make major decisions and choices in our lives, it's how can we make them out of those values first and then move on to the what-ifs later. Secondly, what we got here? Pragmatism. I remember pragmatism. 
Is that right? Okay. I remember back in one of my uh, philosophy classes in college, we, we uh, studied this guy, William James, who wrote a book called The Varieties of uh, Religious Experiences. And he was studying American religion. And one thing that William James found, he says that one of the core tenets of American religion is pragmatism. You know, Americans are not so concerned. I mean, just look at us in here this morning. Not so concerned with formalities and things like that. Our main, our main value is, well, does it work? Does this Jesus thing produce something in our life? What are the results? You know, I want to be able to follow this program, and I want, you know, practical results. And I don't think that pragmatism is bad. But I will remind you of some, some amazing wisdom I got in the restroom of a truck stop written on the wall one time. Yeah, that's right. Just need a just need a, a calendar. Occasionally you find some good thought. The best things in life aren't things. The best things in life aren't things. If we're true if you're if you're purely living in a pragmatic world, the question is always, well, you know, what's the practical value of something? But the things that are of the most value to us are are not practical, right? Ever been in love? Anybody? <laughs> and love ain't practical at all, right? But if we took out falling in love and breaking up, we wouldn't have any songs, you know? Not any songs we want to listen to. Poetry, art, meaning, sunsets, none of it is practical. The things that really stir our hearts, they don't fit in the realm of pragmatism. And yet, we let pragmatism drive the bus. Like, well, what's practical? What is, the, what is the, the obvious thing to do? Well, pragmatism is good at some point in the thought process. It doesn't need to drive the bus. I mean, let's go back to Jesus for a second. Was Jesus' messages terribly pragmatic? You know, those who want to save their lives will lose it. It's better to give than to receive. No, the answer is no. <laughs> Number three, uh, three conventional wisdom. Now, I don't have room to write the question of this, but conventional wisdom is when you get into something in your life Whether it's a business endeavor, whether it's a problem in your marriage, your first question is, well, what do other people do? And that's probably one of the most natural things for us, right? You get in a bind, and you're like, well, what's working for other people? It's kind of like pragmatism. But sometimes the reason that this conventional wisdom is a bad thing to be driving the bus of our lives is because it's looking externally for the answers rather than facing things within. And sometimes what the Holy Spirit requires of us is not that we look for how everybody else is doing it, but we dig into our own hearts and we wrestle with the Spirit of God and we wrestle with what God's called us to do and the meaning of our lives and what matters. We wrestle through that. And it may just be that God does something different in us than he did with the other people. 
See, the problem with conventional wisdom, if everybody follows conventional wisdom, there is, there's no innovation or anything. We just live in a world where we all become homogenized. We become the same. Now, the reality is I can look at other people's lives and learn wisdom from them. I thank God that there are people that I can be inspired by or, or people that I can be uninspired by and, and just go like, well, you know, I don't want to go down that road. I, th- I think I'm very thankful for that. But when we come to difficult times in our lives, our first question, even though our, our instinctual first question may be, well, how are other people doing it? We need to come back to, God, what are you doing in me? We need to do the tougher work of getting quiet, of reflection, of contemplation, of wrestling with the Spirit. Spirit wrestling. Like, I'll give you an example. Back when we were getting ready to plant this church, I had been to numerous church planning and church, church growth workshops. And they will tell you in church planning workshops, if you want to grow a big church, all you got to do is have good preaching, good worship, good children's ministry, and small groups. You do all those things good, you're going to have a crowd. And you know what? That is true. And, and if you follow those things, any of y'all who want to start a church, if you can do those four things relatively well, you will get a crowd. But the problem is, if, if that is driving the bus, me as a pastor, I can end up five years into a semi-successful church where people are showing up, and I can hate the church that I go to. You know? Because I was just following conventional wisdom and pragmatism. It's kind of like when I was, you, you know, before I was married, for those of you that are unmarried, you, you can go find probably a book out there that says romance for dummies or something. I'm sure that exists. You can read a book that'll tell you how to pick up a girl and how to get her to like you. You just got to dress this way and you got to, you know, be able to talk about these things. And guess what? It might just work for a little while. Sooner or later, you're going to have to get down to the heart. It's, It's much better to start with the heart first and then work your way to the pragmatics. Okay, number four. Um, economics. Okay, so conventional wisdom is what do others think? What are they doing? Pragmatics is how how practical it is, then economics would be, how much will this cost? Again, cost is a good factor to think of. We just don't need to think of it first. Because the moment that, that you start thinking, if God's put a dream in your heart or something you want to do, and if your first question is, uh, how long is this going to take and how much is it going to cost, guess what? You're not going to do it. <laughs> Because it's going to cost more than you want, and it's going to take longer than you want. You know? I mean, that's the truth. Cost will need to be figured in at some point. But these types of how questions, uh, they, they box us in. They, they keep us from doing things that, that, that God may really be calling us into. New territory. So we, we can't let 
Just economics drive the bus. Now, I, I can hear the objections. Well, you know, you got to be wise. Yeah, you do have to be wise. I'm not saying throw all this stuff out the window, but let me, let me illustrate how this worked for us when we were planning this church. Um, in the, uh, like I said, back in uh, 2008, I, I went on this period of reflecting on my own values, and that kind of morphed into, I really started doing a lot of reading and, and research and, and prayer and contemplation about living from values. And I actually thought I was writing a book called Life Connected. And I realized as we got closer to planning this church that I wasn't writing a book at all. I realized that I was wrestling with God over, you know, that God was giving me a plan on how to start a church. <laughs> and during that process, I, I really, because I was freed from the constraints of fear, pragmatism, conventional wisdom, and economics, because guess what? We had fear. You know, when we're thinking about leaving a church that we love and a community that we love to start something new, it's terrifying. How are we going to pay the bills? What if we suck? You know, what if <laughs> nobody comes? Like, like there's, there's innumerable things that we could be afraid of. Uh, pragmatism. There is nothing practical about leaving a place where you got a steady paycheck and moving somewhere else where you don't know anybody to start a religious community. Nothing practical. Conventional wisdom? Well, I'll get to that in a second. Economics? Well, they, they actually asked me in the process to come up with a budget for my first two years. I'm like, come up with a budget? We got no money. Like, how, how do we come up with a budget? Okay, I'll come up with a budget. But I, I was able to get free of these constraints, and I was able to dream and imagine. And I started imagining, if I were to go to a church, what kind of church would I want to go to? And I came back to, to one central image that, that we've used over and over. And it's kind of fundamental to everything we do. We do a lot of things around food here. <laughs> I, I was thinking about when you have somebody over to your house for dinner. I love, I love having somebody over. I love going to somebody's house too. Uh, but in a meal, it's great to have a good meal together. But the real action in the meal is not, not even the food. Even if the food is good, the food is a jumping-off point for relationship. And Henry Nouwen, in his book, Reaching Out, he says, you know, the hospitality is not to change people, but to offer a space in which change can take place. And in true hospitality, the difference between the host and the guest is, is just wiped away. See, we get so used to church being like uh, Amway. We're going to have you over to our house for dinner. Amway for you young folks, it's a multi-level marketing thing. We're going to have you over to our church for dinner as long as we can sell you on something. We're going to make you a project. We're going to uh, try to sell something to you. But true hospitality, you're not trying to sell something or change somebody. You're creating an atmosphere where you can each experience the Holy Spirit. And so I began to imagine, what about a group of people where you could come in, whether you're a Christian, a non-Christian, somebody who's lost their faith, and you would be welcome wherever you're at, around the table. And so the first thing that we did, organized thing as a church, was not a church service. Matina Bell let us use their building on Tuesday nights, and we had a nine-week discussion on 
Jesus. We started off first night, had a jazz band, and we'd have a meal each week, and everybody would eat dinner together, and then I'd do a little talk on Jesus, and then we'd have a discussion. And that was so important to me because that was a value-based decision. I wasn't operating to, according to conventional wisdom, which says, well, you've got to have a good service, got to have all that stuff. We didn't have a building when we started. Now, we get a few weeks into Alpha, and we, we found this lovely little building that is now our children's building, and we met in there as the main building for two and a half years. But because economics, conventional wisdom, pragmatism, fear weren't driving the bus, we were able to operate according to values which were bigger than all that. Does that make sense? And so here I am, seven years later, I still like this church. I still like coming here myself. I think if I wasn't pastoring, I still would like to be a part of this community. Now, let me tell you a dirty little secret. There's a lot of pastors I know that don't feel that way of the churches that they pastor. Because they have, they've, they've, they've not lived according to values. They've lived according to these external things. So the questions I, I want to wrestle with a little bit, uh, the, 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 re, the, the reflection things at the end... And I don't want, we're not going to do this today because these things are too important to just do in two minutes at the end of the service. But I just, I ask you in the next few weeks to ask the question, where is the disconnect between my values and the way I live? What are the values which I want to define my life? And how have my decisions in my life been mainly decided by fear, economics, pragmatism, and conventional wisdom? And whatever answers you get, take those to the Lord. Just, I'm not telling you the right answers. Just, just sit with God with those things and see what he invites you into. Okay. Any questions, comments? Because I've probably gone over time. Going once. Good lecture. Good lecture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I've gone way over time, so I'm just going to close this with a word of prayer. Why don't you all stand up, and we'll get ready to shut this thing down. Jesus, I just pray your blessing upon everybody here that we could learn how to live the life that you called us to, that is life more abundantly, that we would be, fine, be defined not by the conventional wisdom of this world and the way that things ought to be, but by your extravagant love by your extravagant grace, that we could be fully alive, God. Lord, help us as we look inside to find the things of true value, Lord, and to live from them, Lord. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Go Saints. The Saints play like in a few minutes, or is it later? 12 o'clock? Okay. I was wondering, everybody's starting to get Nancy. I could, I, no. <laughs>